Welcome to the In the Scriptures podcast. The following Bible lesson was previously recorded. Don't put the pressure on me. Huh? <laughs> All right, number four will be the invitation song if you weren't able to hear Noel. Um, apologies for whatever happened with the computer. I think it was trying to do an update or something like that. It might try to do it again because I think I interrupted it and abruptly stopped it and restarted everything. Um, so anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens. There are outlines of today's lesson in the back on the table, so if you didn't get one of those, take a look for one uh, afterward. Or I think maybe Gary has one if you... You might want to raise your hand and he'll hand you one. Uh, not a real complicated outline. We've been talking about the work of the church and going through the various things that the Scriptures teach us to do as an assembled uh, group of God's people in particular. And um, we have arrived at talking about singing. Uh, and that's a wonderful part of what we do as, as a church assembly. And yet, it is also a part that uh, maybe is sometimes taken for granted, sometimes uh, maybe not given the importance that it ought to be given, uh, maybe also sometimes a point of contention and confusion because of various uh, teachings and such that are out there that are different among those who claim to be Christians. Uh, but what I really want to do this morning in particular is focus on uh, the primary two texts that we have in the New Testament that talk about singing, and to really spend a, a little bit of time examining the key statements that are made in that very specific text. But before I, I turn to those texts, I, I want to highlight what was read to us by Brother Steve from Psalm 100. Uh, that psalm is a very short, to the point, uh, but very excellent uh, psalm when we think about our praises to God. Uh, in the first verse of Psalm 100, it says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord. Make a joyful shout to the Lord. That's very much uh, part of the attitude of, of our response to God, our adoration of God, our awe of God. And he says, All you lands, it, it's everyone, everyone should make this shout. In verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness, come before His presence with singing. And here's singing in the Old Testament even, and there's a lot of verses in the Old Testament talk about singing, but right here, this idea of coming before the presence of the Lord with singing. Verse 3, know that the Lord, He is God, it is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. So this is a perspective, seeing who we are versus who God is. And then verse 4, enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. So here's another word that's uh, the kind of singing off the tongue that we would think of in worship, praise. 
Be thankful to Him and bless His name. There's another phrase, bless His name. A statement of adoration. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. And I really wanted to point that psalm out as to say that this is, this is to be how we respond to God. This, this overflowing of praise, this overflowing of blessing, this overflowing that ultimately comes out in song. Now, I don't know how many of you are singers, per se, in your life, day to day. Some of you are probably bah humbug and never utter a tune or whatever. But if, if you hung around me very much, you would find out that although I'm not blessed with the ability to sing beautifully, I sing a lot. I like to sing. Whether, whether you like it or not, I like it. And my kids could tell you that. Mariah could tell you that. I make up songs sometimes. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of laying things bare here for a moment. But, but my point is, and you all probably know someone like me that's annoyingly in song sometimes. But maybe you're that way too. But there's something in this life that when we come to a point of joy and happiness and um, a point of where something just kind of a song can leap out of you. And we probably have all known that feeling, even if you're not a singer like myself, you, you have probably known that feeling, and maybe it comes out of you in a different way. It may be that most of the time you're all bah humbug, but on some occasions, rare occasions, you smile. <laughs> and in that moment when you smile, it's like a song burst out of you <laughs> for others. And I just want to dwell on that for a moment, because that's, that's a response to God. When we look upon the evidence of God and our Creator, our Sustainer, our Savior, the promise and hope of heaven, of everlasting life, the gift of His Son, the fellowship within the church, there are just so many things that we could dwell on and think about that in some way, form, or fashion, at some point in time, can just overflow out of us in song or a smile. Whatever it may be. And Psalm 100 really seems to be putting that into words and showing that to us. But as we come to the New Testament, in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, you might want to kind of hold a finger in each place. We're going to go back and forth between these two texts in, in particular. Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. Ephesians 5 and verse 19 says, Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We often quote that verse, we often examine that verse when thinking about singing within the Lord's church. In Colossians 3, verse 16, we read, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Again, we often quote that verse, read that verse, examine that verse in thinking about singing. But before we get all the way to looking at the specifics of those verses, go back with me to Ephesians 5. And in Ephesians 5, the, the context actually tells us a little bit of something about this as well. And it's, it's interesting when you study the Scriptures, you're going to often find that we're given contrasts. 
You know, like, don't do this and do this. Or not like this, but like this kind of scenarios. And this is the case here in Ephesians 5, because as he's talking about walking in love, walking in the light, not walking in darkness, he's given a lot of contrasting examples, okay? If you look at verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light. And the Lord walk as children of light. So he's, again, showing these comparing and contrasting examples. Verse 14, Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So there's a difference between being alive and being dead. Light and darkness. Spiritual versus physical. Carnal. Non-spiritual. And then beginning in verse 15, he says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Again, another contrast. Not fools, but wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise. Okay, he's already kind of admonishing us this way, but he states it very clearly. Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Alright, so here's all these different don't do this, do this kind of things. And it leads up to our verse 19. You know, sometimes when we read, we don't pay attention to punctuation. You ever catch yourself doing that? And, you know, th- those who are grammar teachers in school, they, they, they spend a lot of time with kids trying to get them to understand that, right? Sentence starts with a capital letter, and it ends with a punctuation mark. And so when you read, you pause, Right? And there are other punctuation marks like commas and colons and semicolons. Do you notice something about this text there in Ephesians 5 verse 18? Is there a period at the end of that? No, it's a, it's a comma. Which means what? It's a continuing thought. The sentence continues. And so sometimes as preachers, we've done you a disservice and we've, we've quoted Ephesians 5.19 like it's its own sentence. And it's not. The thought began back in verse 18. I, I dare say the thought began much earlier than verse 18 because verse 18 begins with a word that teachers tell us not to begin sentences with. And. <laughs> and the reason it begins with that is because it's a continuing thought. But in verse 18, let's just start there. When he says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, what do you notice at the end of verse 19? There's not a period. There's not an exclamation point. There's not a question mark. It's a comma. So the thought continues, verse 20, "...giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ." Does he stop there? No. "...submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord." If we could bookend this thought, okay? If you could bookend this thought with me for a moment, do you see what the bookends are? On one end, you have the drunk. 
the one who's drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. And on the other end, you have all of us submitted to one another in the fear of God. Those are two opposite ends of the spectrum. One drunk with wine versus those submitting to one another in the fear of God. And in between those two bookends, there's a description of what that looks like. There's a description of what that looks like. Instead of being the one drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. How do you show that you're filled with the Spirit? Or how does that become evident? Or what do you do when that's the case? Well, look at verses 19 and 20. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now I point that out to to just show us that when we study the Bible, it's very important to see context. It's very important to see the full thought. It's very important to understand who it was written to and what was going on and all those things. And, And then from those points begin to make application to ourselves. And so many times, maybe mistakenly as preachers and teachers of God's Word, we've quoted just verse 19 and we've hammered home the point that we're to sing. Well, that's true. And someone might say further, well, why? And so as preachers, we've tried to go to every scripture that we possibly could and we've tried to show you that there's nothing in the New Testament that says we can play instruments. Yeah, the Old Testament has all these verses that talk about instruments, but there's nothing in the New Testament that says we can use instruments. Yes, Revelation talks about instruments, but it's, you know, metaphorical. It's, it's... And we spend all this time on that, and I would ask the question, why have we not spent more time on the context of Ephesians 5 and the context of Colossians 3? And why have we not remembered... Verses like we find in Psalm 100 that simply show us what a response to God looks like. And what it means to submit in the fear of God. And so, I really want us to spend a little time on thinking about that this morning. I want to read from a commentary. I don't do this often. Commentaries are beneficial for study and and so forth, but I don't ever want them to take the place of Scripture. And so I am very cautious when I ever use a commentary personally, as well as from a pulpit. So I do this with a lot of reservation, but I want to read something to you. This was uh, written by Brother Caldwell in uh, Truth Commentary on Ephesians 5, verse 18 in particular. Here's what he says. He says, Paul's admonition from a practical point of view instructs us to fill ourselves with God's Word and be led to what we do by the teaching of the Holy Spirit rather than filling ourselves and being led by intoxicants and other worldly motivators. That's a really good way of saying that. It's almost over my head. What is he saying in short? I mean, he's really saying that if we have an honest, sincere, genuine response to the true God, it will never look like drunkenness.
And it will look like us speaking to one another in true psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. It will pluck the strings of our heart. will make melody in our heart. And it will be to the Lord. Not just to one another. And certainly not to the world at large as far as a performance. But to the Lord. That my overflowing of song will be a response to God. That I'm in His presence. I'm before His throne. I'm honoring His name. I'm thinking about His ears. And friends, when we think about it like that, it really strips down all of the other things. Did you know that it was in the six, seven hundreds when, when musical instruments ever entered the early church? Did you know that so many of the founding fathers of various religious groups that we would even argue with today because they spurted out one way or the other, you know, going away from the Scriptures and the different denominations, but so many of those early ones said it was an abomination to have musical instruments in the church. They thought it was ridiculous. The Greek Orthodox, even to this day, the the ones who are truly Greek Orthodox, say, no way, no how, musical instruments. And you know what you find as you examine all those things and you read about it? What they were looking at was that the pure response to God comes from an individual that can burst out in song. Everybody can't play a guitar. Everybody can't play a piano. Everybody can't perform with a choir. But everybody's heart can sing to God. It's powerful and simple. And when we look at the text and we look at each of the phrases, we'll see the same thing. Notice there in verse 19, it says, Speaking to one another. Well, singing does that. Some of you sing in a whisper. To which if you're speaking to me, I would say, speak up. Right? Speak up. Mike would definitely tell us, speak up. Can't hear you. Now again, I I don't have a great voice. You may not have a great voice. That's not the point. Matter of fact, the Psalm 100 says, make a joyful shout. Some of you sound more like shouters instead of singers, and that's okay. But if we're going to speak... You know, if I was about to be hit by a train at the back end of this building, what I want you to say, Hey, Lance, watch out. (laughs) No, you better say, watch out! Move! And I just point some of those obvious things out to say... What does this phrase say? Speaking to one another. Our singing here in this place, even if we had 10 people, 20 people, 30 people, or 130 people, would sound better if we all spoke to one another. Because sometimes between periods of worship, we're all speaking to one another. And there's a nice little roar in here, isn't there? Love it. Love hearing that. But it's our singing, too. 
in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Is there any doubt what it is that we're to be singing? We might talk a little more about each of these tonight uh, as we study it together, but the, the point is that this, this is the kind of, of music, this is the kind of song, this is the kind of lyrics, the kind of words that are worthy of worship. If you go back even to Psalm 100 and you notice some of the things they're saying there, it was about blessing His name. It was about praising Him in His gates. It was about being thankful to Him. Well, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that couches it in the idea that that it's going to be those things that are worthy of worship that we're singing about and that we're saying. Singing, again. We often harp on that term, and I'll harp on it here because it is the term. It's not playing. It's not sounding. It's singing. And to me, one of the most beautiful things about that that makes the most practical sense in the world and where I can understand from the mind of God why this would be the instruction to us in the church is that every single one of us can sing. Whereas maybe every single one of us couldn't play. It's very different. Making melody in your heart. Again, every one of us can do that. Even if you have a a very poor voice. Even for the one who has no voice. I've known a few in my life who are unable to speak and, and are able to do sign language. They sing in sign language. And as they sing in sign language, what's their heart doing? Their heart is singing. They're making melody in their heart to the Lord. And that last statement is key. To the Lord. I try to not have a judgmental bone in my body, but as a human being, we all have that moment. Jesus taught us about it very pointedly. Judge not that you be not judged. But I will say this, in examining what goes on in worship assemblies far and wide, in many cases it seems that the worship service is to the people and not to the Lord. That it's to the world and not to the Lord. And when we get that backwards, we're going to mess a lot of things up very easily, aren't we? Because it becomes a performance instead of a worship. It becomes worldly instead of heavenly, spiritual. It becomes very physical and very carnal, fleshly, instead of spiritual. And so this phrase is really the answer to that. It's to the Lord. And it would behoove all of us here in our worship in this place to be sure that the worship that we do when we are together with one another. We want to edify one another. That's part of it. We're going to keep talking about that too. But ultimately, it's all to the Lord. And if that's not in place, then we're making a a major mistake. Going to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. And this is a part of a greater context as well. As a matter of fact, if you go back to Colossians 3, verse 1, he says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. He's going to make a contrast out there. They're not to have your mind on the things of the earth. 
Because that's dead. You're now alive to God. Not alive to all this horizontal stuff. You're alive to God. And so as the elect of God, he says in verse 12, put on, and here's all these characteristics that we're to have as the elect of God. In verse 15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And then verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Isn't that really, in essence, another way of saying what was said in Ephesians 5 verse 18? Be filled with the Spirit. What's the great work of the Spirit? The Word of God. The Spirit gave us, by inspiration, the Word of God. Be filled with the Word of God. Well, what's he saying in Colossians 3.16? Let the Word of Christ, the Word of God, dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, in all wisdom. Now, I'm, I'm going to pick on Noel here for a second. We're learning a couple of new songs. You got to do that. There's no easy way to do it. You got to learn new songs. But the goal of learning new songs is not to learn new music, is it? It's to learn the words and the wisdom of it the teaching of it, the admonishing, the edification that's there, the wisdom that's there. We have to get over the hurdle of learning how to sing it and learning the words to some degree. But the goal is to, to reap from that wisdom that's there in that psalm, in that hymn, in that spiritual song. And so knowledge is a, a key part of all of this. I mean, it, you, you know... We sing the children's songs before the worship service here. And those songs have been brought down into a level to appeal to the children. At their level, their understanding, their wisdom. Would it make sense for us as a congregation of God's people, older, more mature Christians, to only sing children's songs? No. Do we also only need to sing songs that we don't even know what it's saying? <laughs> no. And that's where this phrase, in all wisdom, is important. We need the knowledge to sing with the understanding. To be able to worship in that way. Teaching and admonishing. Again, if we're going to be teaching and admonishing, then it requires knowledge and understanding. And so I would encourage all of us as we sing to to not just worry about the sound and, and the, the music of it, but to worry about the words. Because that's what we're doing. We're teaching and admonishing. Just like if you are going to tell me back there that I'm about to get hit by a train. You're telling me what that song says. You're telling me. Again, same terminology as in Ephesians 5, which gives strength to this teaching. You know, it's, it's, it's a little hard in the New Testament when we have just like one verse to hang on. But here's an example where it's not just one verse, we have two. Two different congregations of God's people that Paul wrote to, and he used the same language to tell them what they're to do when it comes to singing. 
Again, what does he say? He doesn't say playing. He doesn't say sounding. He doesn't even leave it as ambiguous as to say praising. You know, he says singing. Singing. With grace in your hearts. And in the Ephesians 5 verse, it's making melody in your heart. Now with grace in your hearts. With gratitude. Love. Appreciation. Joy. This response to God in all of these things. And then notice again, it's to the Lord. It's to the Lord. So I want to read this to you one more time. It was kind of, it's, it's a lot, right? Paul's admonition from a practical point of view. I love practical points of view. Practical point of view instructs us to fill ourselves with God's Word and be led to what we do by the teaching of the Holy Spirit rather than filling ourselves and being led by intoxicants or other worldly motivators. When we are motivated, when we are motivated by what God has done for us, when we are motivated by what God is to us, telling you it's going to come out of you in song or smile. But it'll be in your heart. It won't be in your fingers. It won't be in your ears. It'll be in your heart. I hope you'll come back tonight. We'll open up and study about some of this in a little more detail. And I'll be glad to try to answer questions as I can. It is a controversial issue in many cases. But the basics of what these verses teach, I believe with all of my heart that they're understandable. And maybe more than understandable, more important than understanding. You know, some things that God asks us to do, I don't really understand with my human mind. But all things that God asks us to do are doable. And singing is one of them. We can sing. We can make a joyful shout. We can make melody in our heart to the Lord. We can teach and admonish one another through these songs. So let me make a final couple of admonitions. Don't sing in a whisper. Make a joyful shout. If your heart isn't feeling thuddy when you worship God, examine yourself. And let's just do a better job of speaking to one another. And take advantage of this wonderful God-given opportunity to do it in song. 
better and better and better. Today, if you're not a Christian, won't you become one? Don't you feel the pull on your heart to respond to your God who made you, who sustains you, is the only one that can promise you something beyond this life. I can't promise that. No one here on earth can promise that, but God can. You need to become His child, His follower, His believer, His worshiper, till the very end. If you know your heart's not right with God, if you don't feel that thud in your heart, the plucking of the heartstrings as you worship God, if you've lost that, come back to Him. He'll, he'll welcome you with open arms. We will too. By repentance and prayer, the New Testament teaches us that we can be forgiven and restored, renewed, and we can bear one another's burdens, whatever the burden is. Let's bear it up and get it off of you. Give it to God. We'd love to do that with you today. If there's something we can do, won't you come while we stand and sing?